Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. As I record this, Europe is facing record heat waves. Just outside my office, it's over 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So that means I want to talk about winter. But really, I want to talk about crypto winter. So before I explain that term, let's go into a little detail about this topic and some terminology. As discussed on episode eight of Current Account with Clay Lowry, there are different types of cryptocurrencies. There's the cryptocurrency, which is a digital asset not backed by a central bank or a monetary authority like a traditional currency. Usually you think of things like Bitcoin when you think of cryptocurrency. There's a second category, which is called stable coins, which is a type of cryptocurrency, but it's supposed to be stable and backed by a reserve asset. In other words, it's pegged to a currency or a commodity price, and sometimes it is done through an algorithm with the aim of achieving relative price stability. And third is central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, which are designed by the central bank itself to be a digital equivalent of cash. Now, what is crypto winter? It happens when the prices of cryptocurrencies, not CBDCs, but the others, have dropped substantially and have stayed low for weeks or months on end. A crypto winter is probably similar to what you think of as a traditional bear market, something that we see in equity markets. So this is what you see in cryptocurrency markets. Since 2017, we've seen actually five crypto winters, but we're now in the midst of one of the largest ones. Though this isn't the first crypto winter, it clearly has been a pretty cold one, with key crypto coins such as Ether and Bitcoin dropping over 70% in a matter of months. And in total, cryptocurrencies have lost around $2 trillion in value since the beginning of 2022. So why is this happening? During the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Fed or the Federal Reserve, pumped massive amounts of liquidity into the economy, which helped push up financial assets. However, markets have begun to fall this year for a variety of reasons, including high inflation, the Federal Reserve ending monetary accommodation and starting to raise interest rates, the war in Ukraine, and other factors. And cryptocurrencies have not been immune from these broader financial trends. Though crypto winners have happened before, this one is significant for a few reasons. First, when crypto markets fell in the past, it usually only affected cryptocurrency traders who were relatively isolated from other parts of the financial system. However, today, big, more traditional financial institutions, such as banks or insurance companies, are also in the crypto space, and they may be actually impacted by this fall. And second, today's crash has impacted various actors across the industry due to the complexity within the markets. Just a few examples off the top of my head are one is Celsius, one of the top crypto lenders, which had to freeze its withdrawals and locked up around $12 billion in assets. The crypto company and fund called Three Arrows out of Singapore recently filed for bankruptcy. And two popular digital currencies managed by Terraform, Luna and TerraUSD, which is an algorithmic stablecoin, collapsed in early May, losing 80% of their value in one week. So this volatility is leading to a host of questions in policy, legislative, and regulatory circles. 
The first is that this collapse has actually accelerated a greater push for regulation of stablecoins and other digital assets by multiple governments worldwide. For example, the European Union and Japan have passed national regulations regarding stablecoins. Japan's legal framework for stablecoins will take effect in mid-2023 and require that stablecoins be pegged to the yen or another illegal tender. The EU has agreed to a framework called MICA, or the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, which provides a framework for all of digital assets. It requires stablecoins, for instance, to be maintain one-to-one reserves of the currency it is pegged to. This would put algorithmic stablecoins out of the stablecoins category. In the United States, multiple bills focusing on the regulation of digital assets have been introduced in Congress, and President Biden issued an executive order in March on ensuring responsible development of digital assets, which will instruct every arm of government to develop a position on digital assets and view on how to regulate them. And these views eventually, we think, will be incorporated in some sort of a national regulatory framework. In addition to domestic regulation, this crypto winter has caught the attention of global standard setters who are working to mitigate the risks posed by digital assets. For example, the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, which is a committee of global banking supervisory authorities established by central banks, released its second consultation on the prudential treatment of crypto asset exposure. This consultation is similar to the one that was released a year ago in that it takes a very conservative approach. The current volatility that we're seeing in the crypto market has almost assuredly led standard setters away from emphasizing the importance of innovation and more toward risk mitigation on bank balance sheets. The Basel Committee is accepting comments on the proposal until the end of September, and we here at the IIF are currently working along with a number of other trade associations on an industry response. During the G20 meetings in October, the Financial Stability Board, which is, as we've talked about in previous episodes, an international body made up of regulators, finance ministries, and central banks, is going to make recommendations for the global financial system on how to regulate and come up with supervisory approaches regarding stablecoins. We think that this report will focus on extending existing frameworks to mitigate risks associated with the crypto market and promote consistent regulations across jurisdictions in order to strengthen international coordination within that market. And lastly, IOSCO, which stands for the International Organization of Security Commissions, and to put it simply, it's basically made up of the world's securities regulators, published a crypto asset roadmap for 2022-2023 and just around a week to 10 days ago. Within this roadmap, IOSCO created two work streams, one focused on crypto and digital assets and the other focused on decentralized finance. The goal of these work streams is to establish regulations that manage risks and create a regulatory environment that allows for crypto and other digital assets to thrive sustainably. The Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, Sir John Cunliffe, stated in a recent speech on this topic, innovation and regulation go hand in hand. Therefore, to have successful innovation within the crypto market, we need successful regulation. I found Sir John's speech to be very insightful and I recommend it reading if if you're interested in the topic. One aspect of his speech that stood out to me is that he compared this crypto winter to the dot-com bust in the early 2000s. Though many companies collapsed during the dot-com bust, similar to what we're seeing now in regard to crypto firms, the technology did not go away. If anything, it came out stronger as the companies that survived 
such as Amazon.com, were able to innovate and mature into very successful firms, Amazon, that they are today. Sir John essentially implies that something similar could happen today. There's tremendous underlying technology to crypto assets. But if there has been a bubble, some entities and business models even could go away, while others rise and transform themselves for the better in order to successfully come back from this crisis. I guess only time will tell how this works out. Now it's time for my three, two, one. The three summary points from today. We're clearly seeing volatility in the crypto market right now as we face this new, cold crypto winter. Next, this volatility has put pressure on regulators, as well as lawmakers, to accelerate the regulation of cryptocurrency and other digital assets. And finally, there's a great deal of work happening both at the domestic and international levels to put legislation in place to regulate different types of crypto assets. Two things on my radar to watch going forward is, first, I'm interested to see how the U.S. Federal Reserve's new vice chairman for supervision, Michael Barr, who was just sworn in this week, navigates this new financial ecosystem and what he'll bring to the table in regard to crypto asset regulation. And second, I'm looking forward to seeing what the FSB presents to the G20 finance ministers and central bank governors in October on the best practices for crypto asset regulation. We are hopeful that they'll be listening to the private sector on these issues as we think that that will allow them to come up with the best solutions possible. My one sports topic for this week is the 2022 World Athletic Championships, which has taken place over the last 10 days in Eugene, Oregon. By the way, the first time the games have ever been held in the United States. These are the world championships for track and field sports, sprinting, long distance running, hurdles, shot put, javelin, etc. And is held every two years for the past 40 years, with almost 2,000 athletes competing in about 50 events and from almost 200 different countries. These are games, like the Olympics, where you represent your country, which means that many of the stories are fascinating because of the individuals and the countries that they come from, as well as actually sometimes just the events themselves. For instance, I cheered for Ukrainians who won the bronze and the silver medal in the men's and women's high jump, and I didn't actually know what to think about the cameraman who walked onto the track during the finals of the 3,000-meter steeplechase, which, by the way, is an absolutely strange race that already includes a bunch of obstacles. I will say that all these amazing athletes were able to find their way around this cameraman. I want to focus on two stories that I thought were interesting. One is based a little bit on the country that the athlete comes from, and the other is based on the will of the individual. It's actually two individuals. The first place winner of the men's long jump was Wang Jinan of China. He jumped 8.36 meters. In addition to winning the gold, Wang's victory also marks the first time China has ever won a gold medal in any world event in long jump. In fact, actually, Wang is the only person to ever win a medal for China. He won the bronze about seven or eight years ago. The third place winner in the same event was Simon Ehammer of Switzerland. Not only did he set the Swiss record in long jump and become the first Swiss athlete to win a medal in the event, he is also the first active decathlete, at least that I could find, to win a senior individual global medal in another field while he's still competing in the decathlon. The winner of the 100-meter dash was Shelly Ann Fraser Price of Jamaica. This was her fifth world title in the 100 meters, which includes Olympics as well. And at 35 years old, she's not slowing down because her last week's victory was her fastest time yet. 
She is recognized as one of the greatest sprinters of all time. But in addition to winning the gold medals, Fraser Price is also a mother. So she somehow impressively balances both motherhood and training, and is said that motherhood has given her a newfound motivation to compete. The other individual, and the other mom in this, is Allison Felix, one of the most decorated American sprinters ever. She won the bronze medal in the 4x400 meter relay. She's a seven-time Olympic gold medalist and has competed in the World Athletic Championships 10 times. Felix is also a mom and is an advocate for mother athletes. I think their individual stories are pretty amazing. That's all for today's episode. Join me next time for another episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Make sure to tune in Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.